The story of this election, Chuck, still being written. Let's take a quick look at where we are tonight. Democrats, as we mentioned, have succeeded in winning back control of the House by how big a margin remains to be seen, but still a big victory for Democrats. They were unable, however, to pry lose the Senate. Uh, Republicans retained control there. That includes a win by Ted Cruz in Texas. This election wasn't about me, and it wasn't about Beto O'Rourke. This election was a battle of ideas. Democracy really was the big victor in the 2018 elections, from coast to coast, red states, blue states, purple states, wherever redistricting, wherever anti-gerrymandering, wherever voting rights were on the ballot, it won, and it won big. That's David Daly, the man who wrote the book on modern gerrymandering, gave it the profane title of Rat Fucked, and ended it with an epilogue designed to depress the bejesus out of anyone who cares about our republic. How are you allowed to uh, say the title of the book? Um, this is a podcast, man. You go for uh-huh. it. Hell yeah. All right. <laughs> um, hi, my name is uh, David Daly. I'm the author of Rat Fucked, Why Your Vote Doesn't Count. As you might have detected from those opening words, these days, Daly is a little more upbeat about the future of the American experiment. We're going to hear from David Daly about what he's seen all over America as he researched his new, sunnier sequel to Ratfuck. We'll also hear about the life journey that turned a perfectly normal guy into America's slightly crazed nerd expert on the arcane practice that just might be destroying our country. I'm Chris Satulo, and this is Draw the Lines, the podcast that's out to slay the gerrymander. The people have the right to alter and reform. The people have the right to alter and If you are a centrist or a moderate in a district that is overwhelmingly partisan, you really don't have a chance to win. There is no path to victory for Trump in Pennsylvania, except we won. He saw the word homicide and opened the door. It was the wrong door, but people were going to die. You have the uh, Speaker of the House in North Carolina who comes out and says, this is a 10-3 Republican congressional map because I don't think I can draw an 11-2 congressional map. And I thought, is this is this legal? I mean, and who would say it? Who would say it in public like this? That basically strapped this case to a rocket. I feel like really almost anybody could draw a better map than that. You know, sometimes the answer to the problem is a really obvious one lying in front of you. It's the lines. I was the kid who, on long car trips, was making up his own newspaper in the back seat as we as we traveled. I was the kid in elementary school who learned how to read upside down so I could see what was on the teacher newsletter and just kind of have that information. Um, I always liked about journalism that you were able to find things out and then tell everybody else things that they needed to know. Um, and just always knew that this was going to be the path for me. My parents uh, allowed me to stay up super late one night in the late 1970s when All the President's Men was the movie of the week on ABC, I believe. Mom. Yeah. Carl Bernstein on line one. One? Yeah. Bernstein. I think I got a lead on Dahlberg. Uh, for, I just, for, I got it. What? I just talked to him. I just hung up from him. Bernstein, listen, it goes all the way to Stans. What are you talking about? It goes all the way to Stans. He gave the check to Stans for the committee to reelect. Did he say that? 
He said it. I've got it on my notes. Jesus. It's down on record, Bernstein. And that money winds up in the back car of a Watergate burglar? Yes. Fantastic. I'm coming home. Okay. Man, I was probably eight or nine years old at the time, uh, but the romance and the excitement of Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein investigating and taking down uh, President of the United States for corruption, you know, stayed with me. Therefore, I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. Vice President Ford will be sworn in as president at that hour in this office. Well, he's airborne now, Walter. At about 10.19, Air Force One left Andrews Air Force Base for the last time with Richard Nixon as President of the United States. You know, I always knew that, you know, journalism and politics and, and Washington and some, you know, combination of that was going to be the, the path I took. Daly was having a nice, upwardly mobile career as a journalist when the gerrymander rose up and bit him. It was about nine years ago. He was an editor at Salon.com. I was running Salon's political coverage, and it seemed like every single day there was another vote on Obamacare. This law is so fundamentally flawed, it must be repealed. Or there was a government shutdown. news tonight, the government of the United States of America has shut down. It hasn't happened for 17 years. Uh, there was the, the lack of meaningful gun control reform, even after kindergartners are massacred in Sandy Hook, not far from where I grew up. And we have, I said, there are bad guys out there now. We need to wait for the good guy. And I fundamentally didn't understand why the Congress hadn't flipped blue in 2012. Um, when we reelect Obama president, when uh, Democrats take the U.S. Senate, and that was when I started looking at it. It was then that Daly learned about Project Red Map. That was the Republicans' brilliant partisan strategy to capture key state legislatures and governorships in 2010. Their goal? To be holding the digital pen in those states when new election maps got drawn in 2011. Who is gaining when it comes to the redistricting process, Republicans or Democrats? You know, I, I'm, I'm a little reluctant to just say, oh, this, this team is winning or that team Daly is winning. Daly was pretty sure he'd found the key to the mystery of 2012. Not everyone shared his view. The consensus in the media and political science worlds was that gerrymandering didn't really matter, that Democrats had sort of self-sorted themselves into urban areas. Republicans were more effectively distributed across across uh, suburbs and rural areas, and that there was sort of a, a natural geographic advantage that the Republicans had. The book, The uh, Big Sort, was kind of the, uh, the dominant book when people thought about this topic. And as I was like looking into this and realized that gerrymandering still played a bigger role than people realized, I would show up at work and I would, you know, talk to, you know, an amazing uh, team of political writers, and I'd be like, I think gerrymandering has something to do with this. And they would just look at me like I was, you know, offering, you know, a 1950s uh, solution to a, a 2010 problem. You know, sometimes the answer to the problem is the really obvious one lying in front of you. It's the lines. Um, and it's how the lines are drawn. It's not where people choose to live. Voters in Pennsylvania may have sorted themselves into Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, they did not self-sort themselves into Donald Duck cooking Goofy into this insane district 
That was your former seventh congressional seat. The Washington Post again called this goofy kicking Daffy Duck. I actually think it looks more like the Energizer Bunny. But that's so what you had to fight. the district line still mattered. And there's awareness of that now. But I think in 2012, 13, 14, to be making that argument, you were looked upon as a little bit of a flat earther. Daly says Project Red Map and gerrymandering amount to the hidden story of American politics in the 21st century responsible for much of the polarization and dysfunction that litter the landscape. No one had recognized it, I think, because gerrymandering had been a, had been with us for so long. You can trace it back. I mean, of course, you know, it goes all the way back to, you know, Patrick Henry trying to ratfuck uh, James Madison out of a seat in our very first Congress. Um, so it's been around so long that it just kind of became, you know, a part of the uh, scenery. Um, and what the Republicans did in 2010 was different. They reinvented it as an entirely kind of um, effective weapon um, in order to um, maximize control of you know state legislatures and then Congress. Um, and they were able to do so with all of this new technology that, you know, not only didn't exist, of course, in Patrick Henry's time, but it didn't exist in 1990 or in 2000 when folks were drawing those lines either. And so the book Ratfucked, Why Your Vote Doesn't Count, was born. And its first chapter was about Pennsylvania. It told how, when the strategists of Project Red Map were picking their targets, the Keystone State's closely divided General Assembly emerged as a juicy one. The opening chapter tells the sad tale of a respected moderate Democratic lawmaker named David Levdansky. In October 2010, a tsunami of outside money poured into Levdansky's corner of Pennsylvania, saturating the local airways with breathless, fact-free mudslinging. He never knew what hit him. He lost his seat, and that helped tip the balance of power in Harrisburg. One result of that, in 2011, the Republican leadership in Harrisburg drew state and congressional maps that the Brennan Center for Justice term among the most partisan in American history. In his book, Daly told similar tales from other battleground states, including Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida, and Arizona. He ended the book with that gloomy epilogue that basically told readers who cared about free and fair elections, we're fucked. The book came out during the 2016 campaign and found some audience. Daly's book has a title I can't say on the radio. We can't say on TV. Let's call it Rat Bleep. Rat f and it ends in K-E-D. His new book is called Rat f Why Your Vote Doesn't Count. I assume it's dedicated to all the dead people who voted for Hillary. But it became a sensation when the results of that election produced a surge of reformist energy. Daly went out on the road again speaking to activist groups where many in the audience could be seen clutching his book. There were so many nights I would go give a speech and I would just feel myself sucking all of the air out of the room. People would come out with this energy and enthusiasm of they were newly inspired, they were fired up, they wanted to know what they could do. And the speaker that evening had a dark rain cloud over his head, like something out of the, uh, you know, Peanuts comic strip. Um, and 
I was like, I have got to for my own mental health, but also for the sake of all of these nice people who want to do something and who are coming out and hearing me talk, I've got to find a way to end these speeches on a positive note. And I looked around the country and all of a sudden there was this burst of amazing activity. With so much money in our elections and gifts from lobbyists in Jefferson City, Missouri politicians can get a little carried away. In Virginia and across the country, gerrymandering is a problem. Elected officials pick their voters when it should be the other way around. Instead of voters picking their politicians. To learn more, visit fairdistrictspa.com. Reclaim Idaho is an organization that has grown into this sprawling Democrats and Republicans who are trying to change the process in Utah. So we'll talk about how redistricting is supposed to work and how it really does. Join us after the news. Intense DIY Democratic reform movements were flaring everywhere. Clean Missouri. Reclaim Idaho, One Virginia, the Utah Better Boundaries Coalition, Fair Districts, PA. And above all, in Michigan, Voters Not Politicians. That was begun by a 27-year-old from Grand Rapids named Katie Fahey. Um, so in 2016, uh, after the election, I was thinking about Thanksgiving dinner, and I was feeling a little apprehensive, didn't really want to go because there had been a lot of arguing. My family doesn't all vote the same way. Um, Fahey woke up unhappy on the morning of November 9th, 2016, and posted this on Facebook before she headed out to work. It said, hey, I want to take on gerrymandering in Michigan. If you want to help, let me know. Smiley face. And, and then, she, you know, um, posts it in the morning, and then she drives to work. And by the time she's at the office, there's all of these people who are interested in fighting gerrymandering with her. Um, and she looks at a friend and says, well, I guess maybe we ought to really do this. Um, and so they just start, you know, building Google spreadsheets and, and organizing themselves. And this is such an inspiring grassroots story. They had no money at the beginning. They had to collect 330,000 signatures to get a constitutional amendment on the ballot. And they just started going. They just started organizing themselves. And they understood that they had to take this to every part of the state. So they just began having town hall meetings in libraries, and they began in the we you know, farthest reaches of northern Michigan. We held 33 town halls in 33 days saying, what do you think is fair? Do you like that politicians do that? If not, who should? Mm -hmm. And the fact that and we they just began driving around the state and raising awareness and doing talks and collecting signatures. They didn't have enough money for clipboards, but they had volunteers who knew how to make them. And they needed a very specific kind of clipboard because it had to be long enough to hold the entire language of the constitutional amendment. So instead of having to spend 4 or $5 on a custom-made clipboard, they actually had volunteers, you know, sawing up wood and building these things. I mean, Katie is a dynamo. She is just an absolute enthusiastic wonder kind. Why are you so sure that gerrymandering is a problem? Where's, where's the evidence of it? You know, we have virtually non-competitive elections at the statewide level here in Michigan. Um, also, the League of Women Voters has brought a they lawsuit against the current set of They found the skill that volunteers had, and they found a way to take that and mobilize it and use it to 
a conquered gerrymandering in Michigan? Uh, but what's really funny is at Thanksgiving dinner, uh, my family actually didn't know what gerrymandering was. So it didn't completely work, but now they're involved. Well, you mentioned that your family didn't So, know voters, not politicians, reform proposal was on the ballot. But the pushback was fierce. From incumbent lawmakers, the State Chamber of Commerce, and so on. Money flowed in to oppose the ballot initiative. But Katie Fahey, a recycling coordinator not quite 30 years old, raised millions to fight back. And they just went out and did the work and took one step at a time and figured out how to do it. And they won 61 percent of the vote. And Michigan's going to have an independent commission in this next cycle. Daly also took heart from the success of well-crafted lawsuits challenging gerrymandered maps on constitutional grounds. In Wisconsin, it was the federal constitution. In Pennsylvania, the state one. And that Pennsylvania case, well, it produced the most emphatic legal victory of the decade for anti-gerrymandering forces. The state Supreme Court tossed out the infamous 2011 congressional gerrymander, replacing it with a new map. Then came Election Day... 2018. Democracy really was the big victor in the 2018 elections from coast to coast, red states, blue states, purple states, wherever redistricting, wherever anti-gerrymandering, wherever voting rights were on the ballot, it won and it won big. So in Michigan, you have Katie Fahey's voters, not politicians, 61% of the vote for redistricting reform in an independent commission there, 70% approval in Colorado for an independent commission. Uh, down in Florida, the proposition for restoring a voting rights to a 1.4 million former felons who had served their time, paid their debt. For so many years, I wasn't able to take my family to vote because I couldn't vote. I wasn't able to leave my family to a precinct. I can do that now. Passes I can, I can. with more than 60% of the vote. Um, 62% in Missouri. Wait, did he say Missouri? The state where Democratic incumbent Senator Claire McCaskill got her clock cleaned by a Republican challenger? I think that that is really important. Yes, um, these initiatives pass not only in blue states like Michigan, but they passed in purple Colorado. They passed in red Missouri, even in the middle of a year in which voters in Missouri elected an entirely Republican statewide ticket. The Clean Missouri package passes with 62% of the vote. So that doesn't happen unless a whole lot of Republicans and independents are getting behind this. In Florida as well, um, a Proposition 4 on felon reinstatement. That doesn't pass unless an awful lot of Republicans get behind it. I mean, even in Utah, even in conservative, you know, Zinfandel red Utah, um, a redistricting reform passes. I mean, it only sneaks through at 50.3 percent, but it does pass. Um, and that has been the story, you know, not just of 2018, but it's been the story of the entire decade. Um, Ohio, Florida. Wherever redistricting is on the ballot, there is a way to talk about it in such a way that it can be, you know, taken out of the the partisan polarized extreme frame that so much of our politics is kind of stuck and frozen in. There's a way to talk about this issue uh, that I think can bring lots of, of people of all sides together. 
You may have noticed that one state was missing from Daly's catalog of victories at the polls for redistricting reform. Though the Pennsylvania court ruling that tossed out the old map was a big deal, the drive to create a better new system through a constitutional amendment crashed against the rocks of majority party resistance in Harrisburg. The leaders of the state's General Assembly were simply having no parts of reform, even though a majority of the State House of Representatives had co-sponsored the Fair District's amendment. It died, for lack of action, last June. That was a really sad day. Um, I was sitting in the, in the gallery with Carol of Fair District's PA as, as that went down. Um, listen, politicians are not going to give up the power to draw these lines easily or, or simply surrender it because we all think it's the right thing to do. They cling to this power for a reason. Um, it entrenches them in office. They like that. And they think that voters don't really care about these issues. They think that these issues are, are wonky and make voters' eyes glaze over and that they can run out the clock on it and voters will you know, stop being interested. I think they're wrong. I think that what we have seen in our politics since November 8th of 2016 shows us that there is something else going on out there, that there is an awareness that until we unrig the system, until we straighten out the you know, structural rules, nothing is going to work fairly. Because of thoughts such as those, Daly's new book, Unrigged, is likely to be a more inspiring, less painful read. What I'm excited about is that the fight back has been engaged and people are fully committed and that there's this new awareness of this issue and all of these issues surrounding voting that I don't think was part of our political conversation even a couple of years ago. So what I was able to do over the course of this last year is is travel around the country with all of these amazing groups um, and to watch these fights back. He visited the millennials of Reclaim Idaho, who got Medicaid expanded in their state. In Utah, he met with Navajo activists who persuaded a federal court to overturn a gerrymander of a county commission. I was down in Florida with the uh, rights restoration campaign as they as they fought to give the a vote back to 1.4 million Floridians who served their time, paid their debt, and ought to be able to be uh, welcomed back into society. And he went to Alabama, where a vestige of the Jim Crow era called the Moral Turpitude Clause had made it impossible for many ex-cons to vote. The clause died in 2017, but the state was dragging its feet in telling thousands of people that they were newly eligible to vote. So there, too, activists got busy, and Daly tagged along. We sat outside barber shops. We went uh, door-to-door in apartment complexes. We went to the bus station one morning in Birmingham, Alabama, where I met a 37-year-old woman. And I walked up to her and said, are you registered to vote? And she looked at me and said, no. And I said, well, I can sign you up. And she said, well, I've committed a felony, so I'm not able to vote. And I'm like, well, that's why I'm here. I'm here because the law has changed and I can sign you up to vote. As long as you haven't committed one of these crimes, which essentially was like, you know, treason or murder, you are now eligible. And 
she told me her story and I'd never heard anything like it. She was 17 years old. She was arrested one spring night of her senior year of high school for possession of marijuana. Her right to vote was taken away before she was ever able to use it. She was 17, she thought she would never vote ever, and we signed her up on her way to work this, you know, summer morning in Birmingham, Alabama. You know, tears in both of our eyes. Um, and she's like, all I had ever wanted to do was vote for Barack Obama once and I couldn't do it, but now she's got her right back for the rest of her life. So those are the kinds of stories that I'm trying to tell in this book. Daly says that while unrigged is a more optimistic work... I am not usually accused of being of being Pollyanna. So um, let me try to lay out the dangers that I see here. One is the uncertainty about how the United States Supreme Court, with new member Brett Kavanaugh, will handle the flotilla of redistricting cases that is steaming its way. These include cases from Wisconsin about that Republican gerrymander and Maryland, which is about a Democratic one. The high court punted on both of those last term. The docket also includes a North Carolina case about a gerrymander that is all tied up with race and the Voting Rights Act. There could be reasons for optimism and there could be reasons for pessimism. On the plus side, he says, the Supreme Court did agree to rehear the cases rather than just throwing up its hands and saying, not our problem. What I would say is that Maryland and North Carolina are tailor-made for what John Roberts and even Justice Alito have been concerned about when it comes to gerrymandering. And if you look back at the kinds of questions that they asked in the Wisconsin and Maryland cases earlier, they involved, would it be okay if a legislature was gerrymandering particularly and specifically with partisan purposes in mind. That seems to be what happened in the Tar Heel state. You have the uh, Speaker of the House in North Carolina who comes out and says, this is a 10-3 Republican congressional map because I don't think I can draw an 11-2 congressional map. You know, Maryland, you have got an entire paper trail that shows exactly what the Democrats are trying to do as they draw Maryland 6th. And they turn Maryland 6th inside out in order to turn a 6-2 Democratic advantage into a 7-1 Democratic advantage. So if the court wants to do something about this, they've got two good cases in front of them. They could call it bipartisan and say Democrats do it and Republicans do it. And they could come up with, you know, some kind of narrowly tailored uh, standard here. They could also call it completely non-justiciable and, and eliminate these cases altogether. Whatever the high court ends up doing, Daly will be there, covering it and explaining it to the army of DIY reformers who credit him with raising the alarm and clarifying the stakes of modern gerrymandering. He's taken this quest too far to quit now. At least he can joke about his obsession. Feels good to have saved democracy. I'm taking an awful lot of credit for this, yes. Um, no. <laughs> um, the goal of this book was to take a really wonky and boring topic and try to make it exciting and interesting and to kind of bring it to life and explain why this thing that nobody thinks about is actually crucial to what we all hate about our politics.
First off, we thank David Daly for venturing out on a snowy New England day to talk to us from the studio of WCFR in Amherst, Massachusetts. We thank Georgette DeFries and Bart Rankin of that station for their assistance. Draw the Lines is a production of the Committee of 70, a nonpartisan, nonprofit good government group based in the birthplace of democracy, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Our producer is Joel Patterson. This episode was recorded both at the studios of WXPN Public Radio in Philly and at Kelly Writer's House on the University of Pennsylvania campus. Thanks to Mike Vasilikos of WXBN and to Zach Cardner of Writer's House for all their help on this project. Music is by Blue Dot Sessions. This podcast is made possible by grants from the William Penn Foundation, the Hillman Foundation, and the Heinz Endowments. Next time on Draw the Lines, we'll talk to Ben Geffen, the public interest lawyer who won a landmark case against gerrymandering in Pennsylvania. So until then, let me leave you with this thought. It is our house. It should be our mouse. Let us slay the gerrymander.